You know, if you authentically solve a difficult problem, so you don't cut corners, you don't busk it, you don't make it up, you're in a far better position to build a, a great company. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Welcome to Authentically Successful. Joining me today is Phil T, co-founder and CEO of Moogsoft, the pioneer and leading provider of artificial intelligence for IT operations, also known as AI Ops, founded in 2012. Phil is a serial entrepreneur and has a fantastic story, an inventor, and an expert in IT service assurance, a category he was instrumental in shaping through his invention of NetCool. Within five years of graduating from Sussex, he co-founded Omnibus Transport Technologies Limited to build and market NetCool Omnibus. Phil, welcome to the show. I've really been looking forward to this interview. Same here. And thanks for having me. My pleasure. So what is the biggest problem, you know, in, in let's say, lay terms for those uh, non-techies who might be listening to this, that Moogsoft is solving for, your, for its clients? So, you know, last year, 42% of the US GDP was transacted online. So, you know, that's wow. trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Yeah. And critically dependent upon all of that infrastructure being available, you know, all the applications being available. Mm -hmm. We sort of live it in our, in our daily lived experience. You know, as we bank on our mobile phones now, mm -hmm. we, you know, book everything online, you know, our, our lives are conducted online. And this availability, we, we kind of take it for granted, but actually um, all the while underneath that, things are breaking uh, in lots of complicated <laughs> ways, lots of unforeseen ways. And all of those companies that provide those services and, and take their consumer dollars uh, over their services you know, they need to be able to detect those problems and fix them ideally before customers are prevented from spending money sure. or getting annoyed with them. And what we do at Movesoft is we use software that is powered by artificial intelligence um, to um, basically detect those issues. We, we monitor and detect those issues um, and hopefully get uh, our customers, uh, techies, if you will, um, notice of the problem in time for them to be able to be able to fix it. And the problem is hugely complicated because, you know, the data that we get from the infrastructure to be able to do that is full of errors. It's incomplete. Mm -hmm. If there's lots of it, um, you know, it's low, uh, information density or information quality. So it's a big problem in, in, in essentially searching for needles in extremely big haystacks as we look for those um, uh, issues. Why is the data so, so weak? <laughs> um, because just in general, uh, it's a bit of an afterthought, um, wow. what people do uh, in terms of building, monitoring and observability into their systems. So they really don't huh. think long and hard uh, about um, how to 
just send the alerts or the events that are important. They just send anything. It's like a stream of consciousness from every tiny component, and not all of it is useful data. Interesting. What's the competitive nature of your market? Uh, it's pretty competitive. Um, you know, the, the, people spend a lot of money on this. Uh, you know, well, it's billions, tens of billions of dollars worldwide mm-hmm. uh, across, because it's a very common problem uh, across all enterprises from mm-hmm. even small ones upwards, uh, this availability issue. So there's a lot of money that is being chased. And it's also, I have to say, it's one of those markets where I think a lot of people on first sight kind of look at it and go, well, how hard can it be? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't sound like it's difficult, yeah. um, but uh, actually it's hard. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really tricky and the technical issues involved are, are pretty in-depth and they're pretty, um, uh, pretty hardcore from an AI perspective that we use. You have to be able to deal with a lot of scale. And what we find is there are a lot of companies that bring very substandard products to market, uh, but there's a lot of people chasing the doll. So when you when you came into the business 10 years ago, did you come into it because of that, what you just pointed out? There's other people do in this market, but nobody's really giving a complete solution? Yeah. In, in actual fact, um, you know, because of my background in um, in Micromuse and Riversoft before, right. you know, uh, and and I and I take a very deep personal interest in my customer base. So I spend a lot of time with customers, and I think I'm quite closely associated with the technical innovations that are um, in there. So um, you know, they were contacting myself, and my co-founder Mike, and they were describing an issue they had as they started to deploy. Um, sort of next generation virtualization and cloud technology. And what they found was that um, the old products in that space that were using an approach to detect the pins, if you like, and the needles in the haystacks that was very rules-based, was really struggling to be able to find the pins. Um, and so, you know, they kept on sort of ringing us up and saying, look, what can be done, what can be done, what can be done? And it just so happened that at that point in time, uh, we were experimenting in AI technology and we realized that there was an application of machine learning and AI um, to that. And so off we went. Fantastic. So it, it, would you say that's the reason you've uh, been able to raise $100 million in investment over five rounds? <laughs> is, that, is that what has your investors excited about you? I, I kind of refer you to the first answer, which is, you know, the, there's a lot of money being spent here. So you know, there's a lot of investment um, being put into this space as well. Um, you know, if you think about, uh, you know, in my past, I mean, when Micromuse IPO'd, you know, it was, I think its peak valuation was like $10 billion, which I know, you know, every everybody is a, is a, a unicorn these days. Um, so maybe $10 billion is kind of a little bit Austin Powers, you know, the kind of the $1 million thing. Um, <laughs> but um, back then it was a big deal. Um, And and it's kind of indicative of the sort of um, the outcomes, if you will, uh, that are available if you solve the problem, the prize is large. Um, So, yeah, uh, I would say that and a combination of, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, my my cheery disposition and uh, persuasive nature has allowed us to um, raise the money that we need to pursue our goal. Right. Well, so so with that, let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, you co-founded your first company, Micromuse, as you pointed out, in 1993, served as its uh, co-founder and CTO until 97. Yep. You uh, then stepped out and founded Riversoft, 
uh-huh. uh, after leaving Macromuse and built such a great technology that it was acquired by Macromuse, uh, your former company, uh, uh, you know, in 2002. Uh, I will point out that Riversoft uh, IPO'd while you were while you were still there. Um, uh, and then I also want to note that in 2005, uh, IBM's Tivoli department, IBM Tivoli, acquired Micromuse. Um, so that was a, probably a very nice exit for you as well uh, after the fact. And then, of course, you founded Engini. Uh, uh, is that how I pronounce it? Engini. Engini. Yes. Okay. Um, and in 2003, and your technology was acquired by Riverbed, not to be confused with Riversoft in 2007. And if that wasn't enough, uh, you founded Promethean Labs, uh, an incubator in 2008, uh, to 2011 with your current co-founder, Mike Sylvie, who yep. was also your co-founder at Micromuse and Riversoft. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, Mike and I go back a little bit. Yeah, way. Uh, sure. I mean, so, so there's a lot in there, Phil, um, that I kind of want to tear down. One of the reasons I was so interested, you know, I interview founders and CEOs all the time, but I don't interview a lot of founders and CEOs who had multiple successes over and over and over again. And that I think is something special because that doesn't always happen, as you and I both know. Just yeah. because you have one successful startup. I mean, it may give you a greater probability to be successful the next time around, but there is certainly are no guarantees. Yeah. And you have now done it several times. So how do you, <laughs> tell me about, you know, when you look at it from, from the first company, Micromuse, to now, I have to imagine you've learned from some of your mistakes. Let's talk about some of the mistakes you made in the past and how you adjusted each time and, you know, what the impetus was behind starting the next company. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, do, do, do you have all day? Um, yeah, well, you know, right. As I, went, I think I said some, to somebody yesterday that, you, you know, youth is the place where you start to accumulate the mistakes that add up to wisdom. That's um, correct. And, yeah. you know, and it's kind of is really how it went. I mean, you know, when I, when I, when I started Micromuse, um, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea oh, right. that I was really starting a company. Yeah. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Um, and, you know, I had all kinds of naivety around, um, you know, what it took to raise money, what it took to hire a, a, you know, a team, you know, what the core of a software organization really needed to be, um, you know, uh, how to keep the relationship between engineering products and your customer base in the right place. I was really going on instincts as much as anything else. And I, I've always been a strong believer that, um, it, you know, in, in the product industry, software industry, you know, the truth will out. If you, you know, not to riff off of the title of your, of your podcast, you know, if you authentically solve a difficult problem, um, so you don't cut corners, you don't, um, you don't busk it, you don't make it up, um, you know, you're in a far better position um, to build a, a great company again, as a, another, um, in fact, when we were selling Riversoft to Micromies, um, you know, the, the then CEO of Micromies, Gregory Brown, uh, and, and apologized for the colorful language said, you know, you can't make chicken soup out of chicken shit. And he's quite <laughs> right. Um, you know, you have to have, you know, table stakes is a great product. So mm. that's always been a focus for me. And I'm a technical guy. So, yeah. you know, it kind of comes, you know, it's craft to me. It's, it sort mm -hmm. of comes 
naturally to care about, mm. um, you know, the technology um, being correct. But most of the mistakes that, that, that I have learned around, you know, all of the stuff that you do to convince yourself to not listen to your instincts and, 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 and also to convince yourself that you're right um, before you're right. Uh, you know, Richard Feynman once said, the easiest person to um, fall is yourself. And, you know, it's been a, a long battle um, around making sure that you, you know, you really do the footwork um, to understand a given business problem. Don't just assume uh, that what you did last week will work this week. Uh, don't just, you know, jump to conclusions. Verify, verify, verify. And, you know, most of business is people. Um, a lot of the time, you know, you've got that sort of an easy feeling in your gut about an individual you're working with or trying to hire. Listen to it because it's probably right. Um, and you can get blinded by your own, you know, desire to either not address, um, you know, when somebody's not working out or, or, or being too much of a rush to hire an individual that you shouldn't be hiring. You know, there's all of those, um, I would say, is kind of about the maturity um, to, you know, to know uh, when your instincts are in the right place and when they're not. So in, in all your prior companies up to now, you were the founder or co-founder and CTO. And I believe this is your first gig as the chief executive officer. Not quite. Not um, quite? No. I mean, the, the you know, Riversoft, I was CTO at my communities. Uh, Riversoft, um, I uh, I took the range just as we were going public. Um, okay. I was it was a it was a British structured company, and I was executive chairman, which is like being CEO. Okay. Um, and and the guy who was CEO is really like being the COO, mapping it to mm -hmm. um, uh, US structures, and also in Genie, um, I was CEO of right. Genie. Okay. Um, so so it it goes a bit little bit longer than that, and um, okay. it is an unusual setup. Uh, you know, I would say that uh, I have this kind of post-apocalyptic view as to determine what somebody does uh, for a living, which is like, okay, if you'd all stopped, uh, you know, if you took away all the fancy titles and the right. this, that, and the other, what would you do to make a living? And fundamentally, I'm a technical guy. So fundamentally, CTO is is perhaps, yes. the, perhaps the instinctual role that I could play yeah. in any business. Um, CEO is what I do at, at Moogsoft. Um and, you know, you, you take those skills and you bolster them. I've got excellent business managers around me, a fantastic head of revenue, a fantastic, mm -hmm. um, you know, head of engineering, um, right. fantastic right. head of marketing. You know, I've got some really, really, really good solid folks mm -hmm. that kind of fill in the, fill in the gaps. Um, and a make great you look, Make fun. you look good, huh? <laughs> yeah, make me look good. And that's, the, that's all that counts, right? Right. So, you know, as, as a chief executive, what would you, what do you, what do you believe is the biggest distinction from having been a CTO for you? I mean, granted CTO is not the chief executive, but yeah. Yeah. You have to understand the business. Um, yeah. it, you know, it's important that any, any function inside of a company, if you can't do it, you are beholden to somebody else's point of view as to what should be done. Right. So I think it's important that you round yourself off. Um, so mm -hmm. although um, you know my background is technical, I spend a lot of time with sales. I understand intimately 
um, how our sales process works. Yeah. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time in the field, mm-hmm. um, both on the sales and the post-sales mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be a pre-sales person before I got into all of this, sure. so I kind of have some appreciation for it. As regard to finance, you have to become literate uh, with finance. I'm, I'm never going to be the person, um, you know, uh, ad- adding up the accounts because right. um, I don't have a CPA background. Yeah. But I can build a very convincing business model um, in Excel spreadsheets that will allow me to experiment and, you know, riff with um, my finance folks and management mm-hmm. team about, you know, the what ifs, right? What if we bring out a new product? What if we go mm-hmm. into a new job? Free? How does that look? So I, I think the important thing is, is you have to have a breadth of understanding of the various different piece parts of the organization and, uh, you know, be willing to understand perhaps the really key thing. You manage engineers in a completely different way to how you manage salespeople. Of course. In a completely different way to how you manage finance people right. And, right. and so on and so on and so forth. And you have to be able to shape shift your management personality into right. a context that is relevant to that point in time. So Amen. if I manage salespeople like I manage engineers, I'm going to get a lousy outcome. In yes. the same way that if yes. I manage engineers like salespeople, I get a lousy outcome there. So you, you sort of have to learn that kind of chameleon uh, side to your personality. You yeah. have to bring that out as yeah. a way of, um, of, of being able to be effective cross-functionally. Yeah, I'm so glad you pointed that out, Phil, because I literally... Just had that conversation with a founder CEO earlier today um, when we talked about communication, uh-huh. right? And, and, and how we don't, so many people do not often realize how their language, that the, how the language that they use lands in the world of the receiver. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's critical. I mean, it, it's, for most of us, I think for so many of us, it lives in a blind spot, you know, until, yeah. until we can start looking at, let's talk about the language you're using. Like if somebody talked to you that way and used that language, how do you think that might land for you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and it's so great to hear you say that, that you recognize that already. It, yeah. And it's, you know, th- there's an empathy thing there. Um, That's right. But, you know, perhaps even more than all and above all of that, um, you know, when, when people ask me what's really special about Moogsoft and, you know, there's lots of things I can say there, but sure. I, mean, you know, I could bang on about the technology. I could bang on about, um, you know, the people, all the rest of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's the culture that, yeah. that sets Moogsoft apart. Yeah. And, you know, right at the heart of that, uh, I, you know, I, I mean, like, I guess a lot of people in my position, you know, you've got this kind of sort of pat, here are our five principles type thing. Yeah. But really, I could boil it down to, to a very simple one, mm. which is about what you think a business is. And a, a lot of CEOs will say, what's the effect of it? It's a money-making machine. You know, I, I'm here to... Return investment, return yeah. on investment for my shell. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, I'm trying to make it. a billion dollar, bit, yeah. or I'm trying to make money for my, you know, it's like, it so misses the point. Of course. Um, you know, it's a societal structure mm-hmm. for business. It is about creating an outcome for the people who work in it. That's right. It is a commune for mutual betterment. Mm-hmm. And I see my role, uh, job one, two, and three, as making my colleagues successful mm-hmm. um, in the expectation that that's how they approach of their daily life as well. Yeah. And if you, if you look at it like that, all of the other stuff that people obsess about mm-hmm. just happens, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, build that great community. They will show up for your customer base. 
They will put extra effort into making product. You build a home for misfits, so your competition will not understand how you won. Um, you'll get better products. And yeah, your investors will make money. Your employees will make money. Mm-hmm. You'll be a big company. Um, you know, it, all of that just follows. But if you chase the dollar, if that's your attitude, right. then I'm sorry, but you're just probably a dick. <laughs> you are my kind of guy, Phil. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, I, I happen, I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And that's a, that's an unfortunately word I happen to, you know, prefer to use as well. I just don't use it on my podcast. <laughs> so thank you for saying that because you're right. <laughs> but, but, you know, I live in Jersey now and apparently it's kind of very dirty girl. And again, being a former Jersey girl, that's probably why I talk that way. <laughs> so yeah, that's really fantastic. I, you know, I've said that so often and, and, and I mean, I think this is, you know, as, as, as I'm hearing it and as, as people listen to this interview, when it does go live, you know, they're going to start to realize that, yeah, that's, I, I mean, I can't, I, I've said it for years, you know, w- what motivates me is the opportunity to make a difference. The money yeah. will follow. Yes. If totally. I do that, if I say true, I mean, this is why the podcast is named how it's named. You know, it's, this is just who I am. You know, I'm not here to blow sunshine up your skirt. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the thing is, and, and, and thank you for spotting that we're originally British. I mean, we are allowed to wear kilts in Stanley. Um, <laughs> it's not just the preserve of the Scottish. There's even a Victoria Tartan for non-Scottish uh, wearers. <laughs> Funny. Um, but, the, the, you know, the, the, it's an interesting thing there as well, because, um, you know, you, you think about the substrate that you leave behind when you're dead and gone, right? You know, what, what is the sum total of your life? And, you know, without sort of... Um, you know, engaging in, uh, you know, discussions of, of, of spirituality or all the rest of it. Because it's above my pay grade. I don't know, uh, you know, what, what goes on after you're dead. But what I do know is your legacy is principally the sum total of your interactions with that's people. Right. Um, and that's the important thing. That is, those have to be very high quality. And if along the way you can accomplish something that is indelible um, by that, you know, change the world, um, you know, make an impact, uh, make a difference, whatever that means. There are many, many, many ways in which that forms. Yeah. Then you've lived a good life. Yeah. And I think I, that's I, important. Yeah. I, I totally agree. So let's talk a little bit about um, how you are selling. I mean, are you, is it, is it mostly outbound? Do you have a combination of inbound, outbound? What is your, you know, what does that model, your marketing model look like in sales? So I would say that Mooksoft is, you know, the, is a game of two halves. Um, you know, in in the lead up to COVID, we were pretty much enterprise um, yeah. uh, selling, which was, you know, very outbound, uh, kind of old school in a lot of ways. You yeah, know, well, we that's were, what I was curious about. Yeah, yeah, and 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 we 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 knew we needed to change. Um, I wanted the company to change. It wasn't the business that 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 I wanted us to grow up to be. Um, and so we made some some big changes in in 2020, and we fully modernised our go to market, and we're reaping the benefits now. So it's it's a it's a mix. Um, you know, I'm trying to sort of pull out of memory the last uh, set of uh, dashboards I looked at, but it's kind of 60 40. Um, you know, 60 inbound, 40 percent outbound. Okay. If you look at the pipeline, uh, you know, we have a, a free to access, free to wear. Um, uh, SaaS based trial now. Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, we, 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 you know, to use the kind of the jargon, uh, you know, we engage in both product led growth and product assisted growth. And mm-hmm. what that really means um, is instead of talk, 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 
product, negotiate dollar. Mm-hmm. It's product, dollar, right. talk, 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 product, negotiate dollar. Um, it, and you, uh, so, uh, there probably should be a feedback loop in there as well. So you lead with the products. Mm-hmm. Um, you're open about the pricing structure. Um, you're open about what you do and you don't do. Um, and you're ideally, um, your contact with your customer, who is usually a well-educated technical buyer, is when they've already decided that your product does for them what they need to get done. And then it's a case of enablement and customer success. So if you look at our organization, about half of our sales team is actually customer success. It's, Got it. it's the expand side of the land and expand mission. Yes, of course. And, uh, you know, it's much more um, uh, consultative and sex, success driven from, a, from an engagement. You know, we don't show up and do the shiny suited thing um, and move soft. Um, you know, we, we, we show up <clears throat> and work, work out how we can be helpful. Uh, with the customer. And yes, there are some, um, you know, we do, you know, mix into that. Um, some of the more sort of traditional um, demand generation techniques, it's not all digital. Um, you know, there are, you know, trade shows that we attend, mm-hmm. you know, we do, um, you know, make outbound um, type motions to the customer base, ABM and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And there are some deals that we do that have got a lot of zeros attached to them. And, you know, there's a, there's a different motion attached to that. Right. But the bulk of how we sell now is, um, you know, uh, content being pushed out. Yes. That drives inbound interest. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The starts with a small land and then grows to a much more significant uh, interaction. Got it. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's not uh, certainly not unlike my business either, I'll say. Um, so, so for that 40% of outbound that you talked about, Phil, how are your, I mean, are your salespeople, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in this because of course I get, you know, an inordinate amount of spam on both email and LinkedIn, <laughs> you know, and it's hard yeah. to get people, it's hard to get people on the phone. Yes, it is. So, so what is your, and, and you're selling to whom exactly? Yeah. So we have a, a, a couple of, as, as we would call them, ICPs, uh, ideal customer profiles. So there is an SRE DevOps um, director. Got um, it. So somebody who is responsible for a single application or a single yeah. service, probably has a team of SREs reporting to them mm-hmm. or a team of DevOps engineers reporting mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. We target them. And then there is another ICP, which is perhaps more Fortune 2000 related. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a head of operations, somebody who has, um, you know, usually VP level, budget level responsibility right. for um, an error budgets in essence. Mm-hmm. So if you think of like, um, you know, a big customer of ours like Fox, uh, you know, there, uh, you know, we're dealing with, um, you know, VPs of operations and so sure. on and so forth. People who are bonused on the availability of the service. Um, mm-hmm. So we're always looking for the, the individual essentially who cares uh, about whether the service is up or down, either because, um, you know, they have a, a better life if it's more up than down um, or their, you know, their, their job is on the line yeah. um, to make sure that it is available. And, uh, you know, that's uh, who we go after. So, and, and I have to imagine they're a little bit easier to get on the phone than somebody in DevOps. <laughs> so, yeah. so you know, I mean, are your salespeople still, you know, following, you know, I think that in a lot of ways you still need to follow an old style strategy of getting people on the phone. 
Um, so, you know, are they emailing people? I'm, I'm just curious because yeah. it's, you know, things have changed so much, especially with COVID, right? When you couldn't go visiting people. There's a pure digital motion, um, yeah. which ultimately always does end up with an SDR sales development, um, uh, yeah. you know, small, small and sure. dark kind of thing. Um, individual who will follow so up with a customer. Dialing for dollars, uh, yeah. Dialing for dollars, yeah. You know, yeah. so somebody, say, responds to a piece of content. We have a um, on our website a chat tool. That's yeah. quite a common uh, first contact point for us. Mm-hmm. So somebody will come and read a piece of content, maybe request a demo or, you know, do a hand raise of some sort. Sure. That will provoke automatically the engine right. behind uh, yeah. Mooksoft's go-to-market to either start an, an outreach nurture yep ask an SDR to try and make contact with that person. Got it. Um, depending upon the ICP, some of those would just not respond to that. And, you know, email, I mean, I don't know how many, uh, you know, requests for meetings you get a day in your inbox, which is probably 80% of my inbox. Yeah. And they're not very successful. It's very yeah. rare right. um, that, uh, that I or anybody <laughs> else responds. Yeah. Um, so actually how we generate the inbound interest is with content, webinars. Yes. Um, you know, stuff that is useful because it's useful. We yeah. just did a, a huge report called the State of Availability. We interviewed thousands of practitioners in the operation space and mm-hmm. collected a lot of data about what's important to them and how they run their shops. And we mm-hmm. published a very nice piece of work, a 40, 50 page report, loads of detail in there. that has got some really interesting um, insights here about Mm-hmm. you know, what's important to our market. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a piece of content that we make available on the web, that we've done webinars around, mm-hmm. we've publicized in lots of different ways through lots of social channels. You're continually pumping that out into the, um, into the ether. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, you know, those messages in a bottle, they get picked up by somebody on a distant shore and they go, you know what, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm, you know, I am going to go find out about that. And then yeah. they reach in. And you have, therefore, some high intent inbound interest. And all of that, we've got a data lake and a set of analytics that is geared to being able to work out what is the high intent inbound interest from the low intent inbound interest. And then we orient the appropriate level, whether it's automated breach back or, um, you know, uh, a human making a reach back that will try and sort of make content to nurture uh, that interest to the point where hopefully somebody starts a trial. Yeah, um, because you know we we back our product. We think it's so compelling that when people try and they use it, they go, "Do you know what? This is really useful." Uh, we want what's one the of conversion these. rate? Well, you know, conversion rates are very low numbers, right? You know, it's handfuls of percentage yeah. points uh, yeah. from the absolute top of funnel to dollars at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, but at each given you know stage, I mean, we've got about a sort of a 40, 50 stage funnel um, wow. for the for the wow. pure um, processistic growth. I mean, they're mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're bigger, um, you know, some yeah. 10, 15%. You look at, you know, uh, sign on to, you know, sign on to trial to ingest data, you know, it might be 20%. Yeah. Um, you know, and it sort of funnels down from there. But generally speaking, it's a cast of wide net mm-hmm. to catch a lot of fish mm-hmm. uh, rather than a fly fishing time motion. Um, yeah. Although that sounds more idyllic, doesn't it, really? Because that's kind of studying a stream in Scotland. <laughs> Paints you know, a nice picture, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, ca- catching salmon, you know, maybe a hip flask of single malt and, you know. What does your, uh, like, who is your customer? So um, our customer is um, any business, probably from 
a thousand employees up. Um, okay. You know that uh, has a, a a strong digital component to their um, business offering. Um, mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean to say they have to be a software company or mm-hmm. um, you know a website or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know it's the digital thing needs to matter to them. Mm. You know, so you know we have a, a lot of of the bigger end of the customers. It's um, you know the the banks, the insurance companies, mm-hmm. the airlines, the energy, pharma, healthcare, government, um, service mm-hmm. provider, and at the low end, you know, um, uh, gaming companies, uh, mobile oh. web app development companies, um, a company that does parking data. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, uh, a variety in that. That's interesting. So you're you're just not in the enterprise, which is great. No, no, no. <laughs> we, although we love all of our customers. I mean, you know, we're well, very very diverse in that mm-hmm. regard. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you know, as I had mentioned, um, your uh, co-founder Mike Silvey, uh, currently at Moogsoft, has been your co-founder at three other <laughs> three other places. Uh, how did you and Mike originally meet and, and what is it about that relationship that has brought you two together four times? Um, oh, you know, if I was to really tell the story, uh, you know, so I, I replaced Mike in a job. Um, so way, way, way back in, mm-hmm. in, I think going back, it might even be like 1990 or something crazy. Um, you know, I was, uh, I, you know, I, I was making my way, I think it might've been my second job out of college. Um, and, uh, it was this kind of quirky, uh, back when I lived in Brighton in the UK, yeah. quirky, very early leading edge Unix, uh, uh, business. And Mike, um, was in their three person sales engineering department and he left to go join some, join some microsystems. And so they, they upgraded and got me in, as I'd say, just to wind him up. <laughs> Right, and this team was it was a really great team. Uh, Jenny McCarthy, um, and, uh, and and it was it, who led it, and it, and 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 there was this kind of wild child who worked with us, and she was in a rock band, and you know Mike and her got on really well, and she sort of said to Mike, you know, you got to meet Phil, he's kind of crazy too, and and actually we were drinking friends like every Friday evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, this company used to go to a local pub and Mike used to turn up and we just got to know each other. Yeah. And, um, you know, o- over the years, uh, you know, that sort of blossomed into mm-hmm. a business relationship because he went on to represent a uh, Sunnet manager across Europe for Sun. Mm-hmm. And, and I was by that time working in um, avant-garde, Ball and Babbage, and I needed uh, a license to Sunnet manager or something to, to, to fix the problem that we we're dealing with. Right. And anyway, long story short, as I tell it, Mike tells it differently. He stitched me up. Um, stitched basically, me up. <laughs> um, uh, I needed to borrow a Sun workstation. Uh, he was at the old uh, reseller that was Microuse right. um, before it became a software company. Right. And so he, he lent me a Sun workstation in return for me doing some uh, consultancy work um, at the BBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they they sort of oversold uh, Sun and Manager in there. And the funny thing is, is the code that I wrote um, to make it work. Um, at the BBC was some of the very early experiments in what became Netcool um, oh, down the line. And, you know, we just we, we just get on. We complete each other's sentences. It's like an old married couple. We That's awesome. fight and argue and then, you know, we, 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 we go and... <laughs> Kiss you know, and make up. <laughs> Kiss and make up. In fact, actually, the story... So to speak. <laughs> yeah. The, the story of Mooksoft um, was, you know, we went... Uh, 
you know, I told you about the, uh, you know, all customers of ours were ringing yeah. us up and saying, you know, can you fix this problem in Neckel? And we ended up going to get a demo. Uh, we had this, this is where we were running the incubator. We did this sort of lunch. And I'll be honest, it was, it was a liquid lunch, really. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. it was, there was a few bowls of wine drank. And, uh, <laughs> and, and after we saw this demo, we, you know, we were pretty underwhelmed, actually, with, with what they could achieve with, with Netcall in this kind of highly volatile environment. And Mike and I got into a phenomenal argument about whose fault it was. Oh, um, interesting. That had never been fixed. And at the end of the argument, we sort of dared each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of like, well, you know, if you think you're right, um, you know, let's let's start a company and um, and see how bloody right you are, kind of thing. And so we went home, served it up, and oh, started moving. So funny. So you uh, have grown to about 160 employees at Moogsoft over the years. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your talent strategy and you know where you've seen challenges. Um, and a cat strategy in terms of um, in terms of what in terms of uh, how we how we source companies, how we deal with them, the sales strategy inside of it. How you you know how you you know what's you know you talked earlier about about ultimately not chasing the money, but there's you know if this person knows what they're doing, then they'll do it, and so on and so forth. So. You know, it's the strategy to get the right people into your organization that are then aligned with that, you know, your business strategy and your vision, Phil, really, it's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, um, we, like I said, the culture is like super important to move. Yes. And yeah, we- That's we, part of your talent we, strategy. <laughs> it, it, it basically is. And we just, we display that at customers. Like it's yeah. about how you show up. Um, yes. And, you know, it's it's- not being afraid to say you can't do it, mm-hmm. um, you know. Not being afraid mm-hmm. to tell the truth, uh, you know. Another deeply influential early mentor of mine, when I first worked in Silicon Valley, when said to me, "You know, the truth is such a dangerous weapon. I'm surprised people don't use it more often." And he's quite right, Charles. Um, you know, it is absolutely the case that um, a kind of a radical candor with customers, um, you know, just garners respect. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah. know, once you've got respect, you've got everything you need. Um, yeah. You know, you've got everything you need to be able to have a productive conversation about exchange mm-hmm. of value, which mm-hmm. is what business is about. And, you know, that's the same with people, the, getting people into the business that, that understand and value that as a, yes. as a way of thinking about how you do business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oftentimes, you know, when we engage with customers early on, the first thing we'll say to them is, well, you know, we want to understand you. You know, we want to understand what's important to you. We want to understand what your challenges are. Mm-hmm. We want to understand your skepticism. You know, mm-hmm. what, what, of, what, what of what we are saying to you? Do you disbelieve? Um, you know, how does that, uh, you know, we, we, want to, we want to get the disconnect between the vendor and the, and the customer and then see if we can bridge the gap. Right. Then build connective tissue. Yeah, that's that's terrific. Have you, you know, um, have you had any challenges getting the people in you want? Oh yeah, recruitment <laughs> is hard. Um, yeah, it, it's it's been very very hard. Uh, right. You know, when we were based in Silicon Valley full time, and we were a remote first business now. Um, I used to live uh, in in Marin County in the Bay Area, commute mm-hmm. daily into an office. Um, in San Francisco. And of course, you know, in the 2000s, in the teens, um, you know, the employment market was intensely competitive and very, very, very difficult to get people. Yeah. And you were competing with, 
you know, the likes of Facebook and Google that were paying ridiculous sign-on yeah. bonuses mm, and just buying all kinds people. of that stuff. Yeah, right. That that's calmed down a little bit, mm-hmm. and and I think the remote first thing has been very helpful because you know we can now tap talent everywhere from right. you know Honolulu to Barcelona, and we right. regularly do. Yeah, um, and you know I think you've got to uh, again the culture comes into play. Um, you know uh, we're we're very 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 hard at we've excellent benefits program, excellent maternity program, mm-hmm. excellent paternity program Mm -hmm. um you know i I insist that people you know it used to be that you know in the 1990s you kind of worked yourself to death kind of thing um you know you know sort of screw your family you know um, yeah 14 hour days all the rest Mm -hmm. no 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 no. people need to turn up um well balanced uh into the work into the Mm -hmm. workplace and we need to respect uh, as an employer um that they have other priorities and responsibilities to other people that we need to get behind. Um, mm-hmm. And I think as we communicate that and show our culture and get people exposed to it, it can be pretty infectious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people get the Moogsoft is somewhere that they can come and be authentic. Um, they can make a difference. They're going to get valued. They're going to mm-hmm. get heard. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, is somewhere they can come and grow uh, professionally. So, it, you know, I've never... F- found it difficult to get the person that we want. Um, but uh, I've never found it easy either. Right. Well, you know, no, nothing um, nothing worth anything is ever really easy. No. You know, you, you, it's not like you just wake up one morning and you're an overnight success. <laughs> well, apart from how the Fed creates money, because uh, by all accounts, what they do is they just mint a trillion dollar coin and stick it in the Federal Reserve and write yeah, notes right. <laughs> to me. Wouldn't that be fabulous? So, <laughs> so I'm really curious about, well, a couple of things. One is, what could you point to a lowest common denominator of your success, success in your businesses? Hard work. <laughs> it's not, you know, hard work. Um, I would say uh, intellectual honesty, you know, knowing, you know, confronting reality um, and being prepared to make a decision regardless of the consequences. Everything is always a balance. There's always upside and downside. And if you continually fret about the downside and kind of get into that kind of, you know, paralysis, you know, but I don't want to do that because it's going to upset blah or I'm going to risk this or whatever. You're going to fail. So work hard, make decisions, execute them. Yeah. Uh, I want to spend a couple of minutes here uh, and talk about Prometheum. Um, what was the impetus behind building an incubator and, you know, and then closing it? <laughs> right. um, so finite <laughs> lifetime. So, yeah. so the actual, uh, I turned 40 and I was on holiday. Uh, and I had, I have a, a little black book of ideas, uh, and I write down ideas that I think would be a really neat, um, technology yeah. to build and obviously by implication, the company. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of reflecting one afternoon on my little black book. And I thought, you know, on average, it sort of takes, you know, we'll call it five years, um, to realize a, a, a business in a meaningful sense. And I. And totted up the number of viable ideas that I had, multiplied by five, and realized I wasn't going to live long enough um, uh, to do it all. And uh, and I and I kind of got baffled. I was quite bothered by it 
it was a sort of a brush in mortality. And I got back from, um, from holiday and I rang up a friend of mine, actually the first investor in microwaves, Dave Schwab. And I said, Dave, I've got a problem. I'm not going to live long enough. And he said, well, the way we you live, and I'm surprised it's taking you that long to come to that conclusion. <laughs> but okay, what's your problem? And I explained the problem. Mm. And he said, get on a plane and come to San Francisco. Let's work this out. And so I got on a plane, went to San Francisco. And we sat down and we came up with this idea of a kind of an incubator to do, to realize these ideas in parallel. So it was kind of like a cross between a venture company and idea labs. Yeah. And it worked well for a while. We, you know, got a company, a few companies started. We got one sold. Elastic uh, bought uh, Prelert, which is pretty good. Um, but what we realized was, because our model was come up with the idea, I'd build a prototype, you know, Sylvia would go out and find some customers. We'd kind of get the whole thing moving. But ultimately, you've got to hire a founding team mm-hmm. into these businesses. That's right. You can't hire founders. Like people are either born crazy like me um, <laughs> or they're not. And yeah, and, and you've also got to have, it's got to be your baby, you know? Yeah, right. It right. really has to be that's the thing the that you're passionate is. about or else you don't right. get that. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, you've, ex- you've had three successful exits um, so far. What, I mean, like, you know, I got to imagine you got some FU money running around there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like what motivates you to keep working? I mean, you know, you've got kids at home. You've got a wife at home. Yeah. You've got a bunch of cats at home. Um, that you have to support <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. you know, um, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm more interested in really what, like what motivated you after three successful exits to say, yeah, I want to go start another company. <laughs> like what keeps like, like when is enough going to be enough? And, and will that even happen when I'm dead? Uh, when you're I'm, dead. Yeah. Was, you're one of those. Uh, okay. I was never in it for the money. Money is unimportant. It's irrelevant. Right. It's where keeping score. Um, you know, I think, uh, I, I'm really passionate about the problem. Always yeah. love the problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's important and I think it's how I can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love building companies. I, yeah. I love seeing it come to be, yeah. uh, making something permanent. And, and I remember the first time I had the bug when I was driving over the flyover in Hammersmith and I looked around at all these big skyscrapers and I just quit my pain job to go start what became my dreams. And I had this sudden kind of weird feeling like I'm finally taking part in the world mm-hmm. rather than kind of turning up. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a buzz. It's kind of fun, you know, even failure's fun, uh, you know. And, oh, how do you, you how know. else do you learn? Yeah. How else do you learn? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you, so are you hundred percent remote now? Did you go up all your offices at COVID? No, we, we still are. We still got an office in London, an office in San Francisco. Um, okay. They just get used a lot. Uh, you know, uh, the the employee base has tended to be remote. Yeah, and you're working from home. Yes. Um, had you always worked from home, or were you working out of your office? And is that been I was working out of my office before that. I was in. I was, I was commuting in daily. I mean, I travel a lot. Uh, yeah. You know, I you know I, I'm I'm inside a plane quite well, frequently. I understand that. I yeah, I get yeah. that. But what did you find it? You know, to be a kind of a shock when you were traveling and you were, you know, stuck in the house all day. <laughs> um, it was nice. Uh, yeah, I got to yeah. see my family um, yeah. a little bit more than uh, before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> this is sort of a, you know, there are some people I think in this industry that are kind of on the run from their family. Yeah, as, it right. turns out, like, as it turns out, like, you know, you were not one I of them. I love my wife and I love my kids. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, even while I'm a cat. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love it. So what do you, uh, what do, you uh, do when you're not working, Phil? Now, this is going to sound very peculiar. Okay. Outside of the, you know, the leisure pursuits, like I'm an avid skier, I like to ride my bike and yada and all the rest of it. I'm still very active in academia. And I started out in life as a theoretical physicist, mm. and I still do publish papers uh, in that regard. So I do recreational math. <laughs> You're like, my father was an aeronautical engineer. He, he you know, he, he, when my parents would come out to visit me out here, my dad would like, you got some paper and a pencil? <laughs> sure, dad, here. And he would, just so sit in, he would just sit in my kitchen in the sun. And he would just work to work on these complicated math problems. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, that was his thing. He loved doing that. So I get it. Um, one more thing you uh, had mentioned to me, you have an interesting relationship with research institutions. It moves off. Tell, yeah. me, tell me a little bit about that before we uh, sign yeah. off. So, so when we were doing the incubator, that's really where it restarted. Okay. And, um, you know, we have, um, you know, we, we fund a lot of research. We've, we've you know, taken six uh, graduate students with a PhD, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, you know, we collaborate a lot, uh, with, um, universities in the UK and the US, mm-hmm. um, ASU, um, UCSF over here, um, Oxford, Sussex, Queen Mary, mm-hmm. um, in the UK. And, uh, you know, it's really helped to stay abreast of, of advances, uh, in our space. And, you know, I would say it's pretty unique is why we've got 84 patents. And our and our uh, and our competitors have zero. Um, so you know, our technology you is much more right. avant-garde. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, if somebody uh, listening to this is uh, infected by um, your delightful British personality and yeah. loves what you're up and has loved hearing about what you're up to at Moogsoft and is thinking, hey, shit, I'd love to work for this company. What should they do? Um, philipmovesoft.com or hit our website websites okay. and uh you know there is a there is a jobs posted page there of course and we post regularly through linkedin and yeah. lots of other things mm-hmm. but uh, i'm easy to reach unusual surname there aren't too many please yeah right you have phil t co-founder and ceo of moogsoft this has really been a delight um you were everything that i was told about uh that you'd be in an interview so i really appreciate your time it's a pleasure Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.